Uh, well, welcome today. So glad to have you here. Uh, there's this country song that was out a little while ago. It's by a guy named Chris Jansen. And uh, he talks about how he doesn't like being poor and how he wishes that he were rich. He says he doesn't like working like a dog all day just to barely make a living. He wishes that he had a rich uncle that would kick the bucket so that he would sit on a pile of money like Warren Buffett. And then he says what everyone knows. He says, we all know this. Money can't buy you happiness. But then he comes to the chorus. He says this, but it will buy me a boat and a truck and a cooler full of beer. So it's kind of funny, this song, because he says what all of us know, which is that money won't buy you happiness. But what we all think is that, but if I just had a little bit more, I would be happier or at least, yeah, happier or at least happier. Uh, today in this section of Ecclesiastes that we're walking through in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, uh, Solomon is going to tackle the whole topic of money and uh, riches and wealth and its connection to happiness. And when it comes to this topic, Solomon knows what he is talking about. On the uh, Forbes billionaire list in his day, he would have topped it. Uh, he was the wealthiest man, as far as we know, in the world at that time. Uh, in fact, one of his chroniclers tells us that he had so much wealth that there was nothing silver in his palace, in his, in his world, because silver was considered too lowbrow for him. He had gold and ivory and, of course, uh, gems. So Solomon knows what he's talking about when he talks about money. And as you know, as we've been walking through this series in Ecclesiastes, that because he has money, because he has, you know, power as the king, because he has this time, he is on this grand experiment and he's decided that he is going to seek meaning in this life. And he can do what the rest of us can't do. He can take it to the full extent. He could be like, if I had everything that I dreamed of, would it give me meaning? And so now he's going to do that when it comes to money. And here's what he discovers about money. In verse 10, he says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. He says, this too is meaningless. So he says, look, if you love money, you will never feel like you have enough. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that money is evil or that it's even wrong to have a bunch of money. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the love of money is the problem which is a problem that can apply both to people who have all kinds of money and people who don't actually have that much money. The issue isn't how much you have. The issue is if you're looking to that money to do in your life what it can't do. If you're looking for it to give you meaning, to fill the emptiness in your heart, to, to make you happy, he says, if that's your goal, you will never, ever have enough. A couple of years ago, uh, I read the autobiography of Will Smith. And you know who Will Smith is, right? I mean, Grammy Award winning rap artist, uh, the lead character of the wildly successful sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, one of the biggest, most famous movie stars in the world. So, I mean, I like this guy. And, and if you read his story, he came from a very poor family in Philadelphia. And he rose to the pinnacle of American success. Fame, money, you know, power. I mean, you, you name it, he had it all. And it's a fascinating uh, story to read. 
It's also the closest I've ever come to reading a modern-day version of the book of Ecclesiastes. Because while he doesn't have the wisdom of Solomon, he's on the same kind of a, a trek, the same kind of a, a journey. He's trying to find fulfillment and happiness and meaning in his life. And he has the kind of resources to do what most of us only ever dream about doing. And it's fascinating what he finds. It echoes over and over what Solomon says here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's what he writes about the success and the money that comes from it. By this time, he's already been a wildly successful rap star who's won Grammys. He's already been a sitcom superstar with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And now he's a movie star. And this is what he writes. The Pursuit of Happiness came out in 2006 and it was a critical success and a box office smash and garnered my second Academy Award nomination. If I felt invincible before, now I really felt it. The streak continued. I Am Legend roared out the first weekend with the largest ever box office gross for a movie in December. It grossed around 600 million. Then Hancock came out and grossed another 600 million plus within six months of I Am Legend. I was unstoppable. It was the greatest streak of smash hits of any movie actor in Hollywood history. I became the highest grossing film actor ever. And I still wasn't even 40 years old. The problem was I conflated being successful with being loved and being happy. These are three separate things. And since I conflated them, I ended up suffering from an even more insidious version of the subtle sickness, which I can best describe as more, 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 more. If I'm more successful, I'll be happier and people will love me more. I was trying to fill an internal emotional hole with external material achievements. Ultimately, this kind of obsession is insatiable. The more you get, the more you want. All the time, never quite scratching the itch. You end up with a mind consumed by what it doesn't have and what it didn't get and a spiraling inability to enjoy what it does have. It's fascinating. I mean, Will Smith, not even 40 years old and more success and more money than we would dream of in a lifetime. And yet he says he's slowly being overtaken by what he calls the subtle sickness. In other words, it's not front and center in his life, but it's this creeping thing in the background in his heart. And it's this desire, this, un, un, this insatiable need for more, 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 more. So much so that he can't even appreciate the stuff that he has. And, and we think, you know, we say, well, how, how can that be? And yet it's exactly what Solomon saw and experienced. If you love money, if you look to it for your meaning in life to reassure you that you're enough, that you're worthy, if that's what you're looking for money to do, whether you're wildly successful movie star or super poor or just plain middle class, it will never satisfy that longing in your heart. You see, the subtle sickness is insatiable. And we hear about that, you know, we, we hear about that, we joke, yeah, well, if you got to bear a burden, that's at least a good burden that you have to bear. I, I'd be willing to try. But Solomon says, actually, wait, wait. There's another thing you need to know about having a lot of money. Here's what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. 
And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a, ra of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Solomon says, you know, the, the more money that you have, the more stuff that you have, the more troubles it actually brings into your life. And you know this, right? I mean, the more stuff you have, the more you have to clean it, store it, fix it, insure it, get it out of storage, use it, put it back, protect it so that someone else doesn't take your stuff, sell it when you're done with it. I mean, there's a lot of work to having stuff. The bigger the business you have, the more headaches you have, the more people who are dependent upon you for their livelihood. There's a lot of pressure that comes into people's life when they have stuff, when they have lots. When you don't have that, you might look and say, I wish I had that, but you sleep like a baby. But when you have lots, there's a lot of pressures in your life. Again, listen to what Will Smith, who, who has it all, this is what he writes. There's a strange and perturbing success paradox. When you have nothing, you suffer the fear and pain of grinding to achieve your goals. But when you have everything, you suffer the brutal recurring nightmare of losing it all. I had the wife. I had the family. I had the property with the name. I was the biggest movie star in the world, but I started to notice the subtle sickness, a sort of sneaky poverty mentality. I was more anxious and fearful than ever. It all seemed so fragile. One injury, one scandal, or one flop movie away from having to move back to Philly. There's only one fear worse than the fear of not attaining the object of your desire, and that's the fear of losing it. The subtle sickness. He says, it isn't just more, more, more. The subtle sickness is a poverty mentality about what you already have that, that morphs into a growing fear that you might lose it all. It turns out that it isn't always that fun to have so much money and so much stuff. If your goal in that is to find your meaning and your purpose in your life. It's the second pitfall of having a lot of money. And Solomon points uh, one more pitfall of, of loving money. He says this in verse 13 and 14. He says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Someone says, here's one more problem with money. Money, he says, is notoriously unstable. It, it, it comes slowly or it comes quickly, but it can also disappear quite quickly. He says, and I've seen two things that it does in life. Either you work so hard to get the money, it is so central, you scrape and you work to get it, and finally you get it and you hang on to it. But in the process, you lose the other things that are so valuable in your life. I mean, you end up with a pile of money and all alone. He says, or I've seen the opposite. You work so hard to get all of this money and, and, you, and you accumulate it all and it's, the, it's your life's work and then you make a stupid mistake or just as likely something totally out of your control happens and you lose it all. You don't even have enough to give to your kids as an inheritance. He says, look, money is notoriously unstable and if you decide that you're going to build your life, your value, you're going to place your happiness on that, that is a huge gamble that you will not win. It'll be a tragic thing 
In fact, Solomon, Solomon's been around. Solomon's watched. He, he's he's an, a keen observer of life. And he says, actually, I want to tell you about two other tragedies that I've seen in people's lives when it comes to having money. Here's the first one. In the beginning of chapter six, he says this, I have seen another evil under the sun and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions and honor so that they lack nothing their heart desires. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. He says this, here's what I've seen. He says, I have seen people who have got all kinds of money, more than they could ever want. And the money doesn't go away. They go away. And someone else gets to enjoy that money. You know, this past week, if you're reading the news, one of the greatest marathoners in the world, the greatest marathoner in the world, was killed in a car accident. His name was Kelvin Kitman, uh, and he was just 24 years old. And last October, he ran a marathon, 42 kilometers, in two hours and 35 seconds. Unbelievable, unheard of, world record. And he, and he had just announced that this October in Europe, he was going to run a marathon in less than two hours. First human being to do that. It would have made him so famous. The endorsements would have rolled in. He would have been set for life. A young man with a brilliant future in front of him. And in a freak accident, totally strange accident, he ends up dead. Solomon says, I've seen that kind of thing. It doesn't just happen to the elite athletes. It happens to people with all kinds of money. People who got everything they wanted. And then suddenly they end up dead. He says, it's evil. And everyone shakes their head and says, you know, he had it all. Or, or she had it all. And now someone else gets it all. It's so tragic. It's so unfair. But Solomon says, but, but I've seen a tragedy even worse than that. Here's what he says next. He says, a man may have a hundred children and live many years. Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness. And in darkness, its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Solomon says, I've seen a worse tragedy than dying young when you're rich. And that's living to be old and having all kinds of children and all kinds of grandchildren and having tons of money, but not being able to enjoy it. He says, it would be better to, to have never been born than than to have that happen to you. And, and we who don't have that kind of money, we say, well, how, how could that be? I mean, come on, surely a person with that kind of money would enjoy it. But not, not if they're trying to use their money to do something that it was never designed to do. Not if money becomes the source of their meaning and their value and their worth in their life. Not if their identity is built on it, then there's never happiness there because it's never, ever enough. It's a subtle sickness. And Will Smith keeps talking about it throughout his whole autobiography. Here's what he writes near the end of the autobiography. He's about my age. So he's like midlife already. Here's what he writes. My mind drifted back to my I am legend phone call with JL. 
The film had broken global box office records, but still I was dissatisfied. The subtle sickness was becoming a whole lot less subtle. I asked myself, how much did I Am Legend need to make for me to be happy? How much would be enough? How many more consecutive number one movies do I need? How much more money would it take for me to feel safe and secure? How many more Grammys or Academy Awards do I need to feel loved and approved of? How much healthier do my kids need to be? How many more times does Jada need to say I love you? When will enough be enough? The problem is the more you get, the more you want. It's like drinking salt water to quench your thirst. We develop a tolerance that makes us need more just to get the same high. I started to recognize the game, the trick, the insanity, the carrot on the stick. I had never liked vampire movies, but suddenly understood their mythology. They're a metaphor for insatiable human hunger, unquenchable thirsts, and chronic dissatisfaction. The attempt to fill the spiritual hole with external things. If unparalleled winning and achieving everything I have ever dreamed of does not secure perfect happiness and ultimate bliss, then what does? That's a tragedy. Here's the observation that Solomon makes about those who love money because they think it will give meaning to their life. In verse 17, he says, All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. That's the result of the subtle sickness. That subtle sickness doesn't just affect super rich people. That affects anyone and everyone. No matter how much you've got, if, if you think that the money, if you think that more is going to be the answer, I mean, if you pursue that, you're going to be deeply, deeply disappointed. It's the exact opposite of the message that we hear every day in our culture, in every commercial, and every you know, movie that's out there. And yet, this is the truth. It doesn't matter who you are. Money does not, will not, cannot give meaning to your life. And you might be saying, okay, okay, I got it. I get it. Okay. So, so what then? I mean, is it wrong for me to try to make money? Is it, is it wrong for me to try to get ahead? Is God an anti-capitalist? I mean, should we just sell everything, become Amish, just dress in black and ride a carriage and horse everywhere? No, of course not. The Bible actually has a very sophisticated and nuanced view of money. And, 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 um, uh, and it speaks a lot about it. And, and you know, first God in the Old Testament through the prophets and then Jesus in the New Testament uh, have a lot to say about money. And really there are two things, two key points that form a theme around money. And the first one is this, that money is a gift from God. Here's what Solomon says in verse 18. He says this, this is what I observe to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. What Solomon says, what the Bible teaches is the wealth that you have, the money that you have, how much ever it is, that's a gift from God. Some of you are gifted at making money. 
That doesn't mean it's easy. It just means that whatever you put your hand to, you're able to turn a profit from and you make lots of money. That's a gift from God. That's a good thing. Keep making money. There's nothing wrong with that. Others of you are okay at making money. You're not getting rich fast, but you're moving forward. That's God's gift to you. Enjoy that. And others are not as good at making money. And that's okay. Because as Solomon is pointing out, it's not the money that gives meaning and joy and happiness in a person's life. See, the, the point that Solomon is making here is that money isn't bad. Having money isn't a bad thing. Quite the opposite. It's a gift from God. But you have to understand that he has chosen how much he is going to give to you. And however much it is, it's a gift to you. And if you can accept that, if you can look and say, well, this is what God in his grace and in his sovereign plan has given to me. And then if you can eat and drink and find satisfaction in that, I mean, then you're way better off than the guy down the street who has three times as much as you and lives to be 150 years old and has a bunch of children and grandchildren and simply can't enjoy his money. In fact, if you can enjoy whatever God has given you, if you're living in a tiny little apartment and, and you know, driving a little old jalopy and, and not able to go anywhere, if you can say, this is God's gift to us, and we live and we enjoy, if you can do that, you are better off than Will Smith, one of the greatest, most famous, most rich movie stars in the world. first observation or the first thing that the Bible points out that the money that you have is a gift from God. But there's, there's another thing, there's another theme, another observation here that, that uh, Solomon makes in verse 15 and 16. He says this, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind. Here's the other thing that he says. You can't take it with you. In the end, when you die, your money will remain. You'll be gone, but it will still be there. Which means that you don't own it. If you owned it, you would take it with you, but you can't. Which means that you're simply managing that money that God gives you for whatever amount of time that you have on this planet. So that is the question. Who are you managing them for? I mean, if you think that you're simply stardust, you're, you're just an evolutionary accident that happened and, and, and there is no plan or purpose or meaning beyond you in this life, then I mean, I don't know how you answer that. Because you're just really holding it until you pass it off to someone else. But if you believe that God created this world and you and all that is in it, and if you understand that the money that you have is his gift to you, then you begin to understand that your job is to manage the money that he has given to you. Then the money that he has given you is not an end in itself. Rather, it's a means to an end. In other words, if you are managing the money that God has given you, then it's a tool. It has been given to you to accomplish something in this life. Otherwise, you're just holding it until you pass it on to someone else who will actually do something with it in their life. 
So your money should never be an end in itself. It can't just be about you. I mean, if in the end you think that the money that God has given you is just for you, in the end, you're going to suffer from the subtle sickness. They will just never, ever be enough. And you will eat, spend your days eating in darkness and in frustration and in anger. And you'll have a poverty mentality all of your life. But that's not what your money is for. Instead, God has given you that money as a means to something much greater and much richer. See, here's the second point that the scriptures make. Money doesn't give meaning to your life, but it is a means to an end. If you want to have meaning in your life, you need to have a purpose that goes beyond you, beyond your happiness and your success and your wealth and your family. It has to be something bigger than you, something that you can give your life away to. Serving God, serving others, because then the money that God has so graciously given you becomes a tool that helps you bring meaning into your life. Of course, you need money to pay the bills, help the kids go to college, go on a vacation. There's not a problem with that. But if that's it, if all your money is spent on you, if you have no bigger vision for what God wants to do through you, if there's no place that at least some portion and not just a couple of bucks, but some significant portion of your income goes to a vision bigger than yourself, then it doesn't matter how rich or how poor you are, you will suffer from the subtle sickness in your life. And the very money that God has given you to help you find meaning in your life instead will suck the meaning out of it. So here's the question. Do you have a vision for anything bigger in your life than just you? Anything bigger than just your family, just your enjoyment? Do you have a vision that's bigger than you? And have you ever sat down and decided what percentage of your income you are going to live on so that you can use the rest as a tool to invest in something bigger than you. Because everyone, whether they have thought about it or not, lives on some percentage of their income. So why not choose what that percentage will be rather than having it happen simply by default? Why not set aside a portion of your money to give and to invest in something much bigger than yourself? Much bigger than just you, you, you. More than just more, 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 more. Because in the end, you don't own it. In the end, someone else is going to get it all. So why not use it in this life as a means to something greater? You know, if you, uh, if you read Will Smith's autobiography, it's actually quite a sad story. Uh, in spite of all of his success, he can't find the, the meaning and the happiness that he so desperately wants, which is really ironic considering that one of his famous movies was called The Pursuit of Happiness. The only bright spot in this story is his grandmother, whom he calls Gigi. And uh, he loves her. He, he adores her. There's, there's nothing that he wouldn't do for her. And, and she likewise adores him. And in fact, uh, she calls him lover boy. That's her nickname for him. And, and it's fascinating to read because 
he, he openly writes in his autobiography that Gigi loves Jesus. He's the center of her life. He, he's why she does all the things that she does. And, and, and she has a happiness that he just can't find, in spite of the fact that she lives in a very poor part of Philadelphia. And he asks her about it. And again, here's what he writes. One year during Christmas Eve service, Resurrection Hall, decorated from entry to altar, adorned to a level that even Jesus might have thought was a bit too much, Gigi was peacefully swaying to the choir's soothing rendition of Blessed Assurance. I watched her rock and hum, and I found myself hypnotized by her tranquility. She was not quite smiling, but the soft rise in the corner of her mouth betrayed an invincible serenity. I would later come to recognize this look as the look that people have when they know things that the rest of us don't. She caught me staring. Yes, lover boy. Gigi, why are you so happy all the time? I whispered. Now she was fully smiling. She paused like a gardener preparing to sow essential seeds. She leaned over and whispered in my ear, I trust God. And I'm so thankful for his grace in my life. I know that every single breath I take is a gift. And it's impossible to be unhappy when you're grateful. He put the sun in the sky and the moon. He gave me you and our whole family. And for all of that, he gave me only one job. What's your job, Gigi? To love and care for all his children, she said. So everywhere I go, I try to make everything that I touch a little better. I mean, this woman, his grandmother, she lived for something much greater than herself. And despite the fact that she had hardly any money, she had a happiness that is so elusive to her grandson. Remember what Solomon said about those who who build their identity, they seek for this meaning in, in life through money, that they spent their days eating in darkness with great frustration and anger and, and affliction? Well, here's what he says about those who accept their money as a gift from God and who use it in service of something greater than themselves. In verse 20, he says this, they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. There is no subtle sickness for them. Instead, God pours his grace into their life so their life is full and meaningful. They barely, they barely look back because, because they're investing their lives in such something much bigger than themselves and God pours his grace and his, and his love into their life and it, and it overflows. When it comes to Money. Here's the question. Do you want stuff or do you want stories? See, in the end, when, when, you're, when your money is going to carry on and you don't, the question is, what are people going to celebrate in your life? What is it that they're going to remember about you? Is it going to be your stuff? How much stuff you had in the garage? How much money you accumulated in the bank account? How many fancy vacations you went on? How, how, how big your house is? Is that what you want them to say? Like, oh, I remember that about that person? Of course not. No, nobody intentionally sets out for that. But that's the way the culture will continually push you and me unless we make an intentional choice to live differently. I mean, what you don't want them to say is she ate, she drank, she got married, and she died. I mean, that's not a legacy. It's not what you want, right? What you want when they celebrate your life at the end is stories. 
Stories of, about how you use your time and your resources to impact people's lives. Stories about how you help people in the midst of the hardest times of their life. Stories about how you invested so that other people would come to know and find out about Jesus. Stories about how you loved others deeply, not only in word, but in deed. I mean, that, that's what the money is there for. Of course, it's to pay the bills and all of that other stuff. But if you want to find meaning in this life, then the money is not the end, but rather it is a brilliant and a powerful means to an end. That's what the money is for in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Well, God, you know that money is no little thing for us. It's kind of important. It's actually fairly important. And yet, God, somehow the way that it's designed, if, if we pursue money above all else or ahead of pretty much everything else, somehow it's never enough. Somehow the very thing that we look to to give us life sucks the life out of us. God, forgive us for where we've done that. Forgive us for where we've been sucked into the, the message of our culture that if we just had a little more, if we just had one more thing, that then we'd finally be happy. God, forgive us for it. It's so prevalent here in this part of the world particularly. Instead, God, open our eyes to see what you're doing in the world. Something bigger that you call us to. Help us to understand that however much you've given us is your gift to us. And God, grant us the courage the courage to use a portion of that money that you have so graciously given into our lives towards something that is much bigger, towards something that leads to stories instead of stuff. God, and in that we find a joy and a happiness and a meaning that, that you've designed for our life and ultimately, God, in you. And so, Lord, would you guide us, would you help us as we follow after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for coming and joining us today. You know what I love about the Word of God? It tackles the very real things in our life in very practical ways. And I hope today that you've been encouraged and strengthened and challenged and maybe convicted as we deal with the whole area of money in our lives. You just trust God. You keep following him. His is the way of life. Let me send you out again with the words of Solomon. Here's what he says. When God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is the gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. May you seldom need to reflect upon the days of your life because you live in gratitude for what God has given you. Go in peace. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.